0: Welcome to the International Association of Business Communicators Amina Region podcast. This is Monique Zidnick. One of my guests for you today is that fascinating mix of communication and science. Tobasah Afolayan has four degrees, ranging from a Bachelor of Science in Geology and Mineral Sciences to a MBA in Energy and Sustainability. She has worked in the gas and petroleum, solid minerals, water, and finance industries and was recently named a Rising Woman in Energy by the Mediaville Women in Maritime and Energy Award. She is a new IABC Amina Region member, having recently moved from Lagos, Nigeria, to Amsterdam in the Netherlands. And Tanvasa was a facilitator at our IABC Converge event last year, on the rise and impact of short-term gig and contract roles in comms careers. Tomasa is joined by Duca Swain, who's one of our IUBC Amina region board members and also lives in the Netherlands. Juca has a mixed scientific and communications background, and after gaining a bachelor and master's degree in molecular biology, she made a career switch into supply chain at the turn of the millennium. She then moved into internal communications 10 years ago. Since then, she has worked both in-house and as a consultant for multinationals and non-for-profits. She's now a communications manager at IDEX, a global leader in veterinary diagnostics, software, and water testing. Welcome, Tambasar and Duca. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining me. Tombosa, you've moved countries and cultures in very interesting times. What has this experience been like for
1: you? So there's a Chinese adage that says, may you live in interesting times. And I think this is one of the things it was referring to. When everything, every change is interesting. So I I like that opening when you say "This, this is interesting time. And I didn't even have to move to live in this interesting time. But moving has a different layer to it, you know, because now it's a, it's an intersect between changing cultural orientation and, you know, getting to social conflict, social interest and all of the in between. So for me, I consider it a rebirth. I also consider it a learning opportunity. The butterfly effect is something I like to think about. You know, now you read news and you do not realize that the impact of something so little can affect you but that's the world we live in right now so moving it's also the impact of something so little affecting and you know asking for that change to relearn asking for that opportunity to to really be out there and be open to changes which is one of the opportunities we get when we move from country to country and One thing that has really resonated with me is the ability to dispel some myths and also to validate some facts around cultural interactions, social conflict, and the global, or maybe I I should say the global world we live in right now. Yeah, it's global, but it's still so local.
0: That's It is very, very local. And what are some of the myths that have been busted or validated for you? Does anything spring to mind?
1: So one of the things that springs to mind quickly around meets is the assumption of human differences around our, our social needs. I think coming from a developing world, so if I may say so, a developed or emerged country, you will still see all the elements in a developing world right here. And it's about human need. It's about the right to live. It's not different from whether people are struggling to where people have everything they need. There's this consumerism that is in every layer. So that for me is a big deal. You know, it's not, it's not, consumerism is not, is not influenced by (laughs) hunger. It's not influenced by poverty. It's not influenced by riches or wealth. It is just who we are as humans to need things, and that's one myth that I've dispelled.
0: Sounds absolutely fascinating. And Duke, have you got the same or similar experiences?
2: Well, yes, actually. I found, because I moved from the UK to the Netherlands well, more than 20 years ago now, and I found it such a broadening experience. Right? The differences between the UK and the Netherlands, space, face it, culturally, they huge. The differences are much more in the smaller things and, and they pop up when you least expect them, actually. But still, there's a lot of learning in different perspectives. For me, it's the small things, differences in sense of humour, the way people work, the directness with Dutch speak and they express their opinions. That The lack of excessive please thank yous, which you know, you're know you used to, in the UK. I was used culturally. We have a lot of please, sorry, thank you all the time. And, and here, that's very absent and I have to adjust the way I approach things and say, it's not offensive. It's just the way people.
0: In oh, terms I'm of going. hierarchy, do you think the Dutch are more hierarchical or the British, or are we generalising too much?
2: I, yes, I think. Well, I, I think that's changed over the years, and I think it also depends on the kind of company you work in. But if you work in a a very Dutch company, a traditional Dutch company, it tended to be more hierarchical than traditional British companies. That said, I've never worked in a purely Dutch company. I've always been multinationals or or American companies. So you don't see that quite as much. And
0: Thomas, have you picked up on any very distinct cultural differences between Nigeria
1: and the Netherlands? So I've worked with Shell, which is traditionally a Dutch company. And you will see that if I use if I may use the company as a as an example, you will see that vast difference coming from a shell in Nigeria to a shell international, if I may say so. So culture for us is big, it's communal. I know my neighbors in Lagos. I know I know my streets if I want to know them. Here, I do not think people have that level of interest in knowing you. Uh, so that for me, it's it takes time to adjust to such things, you know, that lack of communal behavior is very strong in the Dutch system, but it's not offensive, like Drake say. It's not, you don't find it offensive. You just come to realize that this is culture for them. And yeah, it is what it is. It's not offensive, but it's different. Yeah, that really resonates. I really found that it's actually quite hard
2: to know people quite well in the Netherlands. They're very happy to express their opinion. And I really mean this in no offensive way. The Dutch seem to, uh, are very happy to exp- tell you how they think about something and what their opinion is of something. But actually, truly how they feel and getting to know people on a personal level, it, it's just just that bit more challenging. I think. So that really resonated as well. Um, I I also worked for Shell as a consultant for a while, but in based in the Netherlands. It's a very multinational, uh, multicultural environment. Uh, You have to be open
0: for it and you have to make that effort to get to know each other. I remember when I started working with quite a German company, I used to Say, so, "Well, good morning. How are you?" To one of my colleagues, and I remember one time we just turned around and said, "Why are you asking me? Why do you care? Why do you want to know?" And I'm like, "I actually <laughs> do want to know. I'm actually interested." He's like, "No, you're just you're being you're being you're just being polite." And I'm like, "No, actually, I do want to know." And it was just a very culturally different perspective because there was much more of a division between work and friends, like family life, and that's just. I think a part of, for that particular person, but how has the IABC community been, I guess, transitioning from Nigeria to the Netherlands? You've, you brought the community with you, Tamosa.
1: I joined the IABC, one of the facts, and I call this a fact that came up very quickly is that it is a very supportive community and not all communities are supportive. So, you know, you could say the IABC is a a global organization. It's a community of experts, it's a community of professionals. It wouldn't be different from any other professional organization out there. But when you throw in the word supportive, that's the true essence of the IABC. That's the kind of level of support I have received. And I know people also talk about this. We all can't be faking it. Right. So even if I was faking it, everybody that comes up to say, oh, the IABC has been truly supportive of my personal growth, my career growth, we can't be faking it. So that's something I would say the community has been to me, a very supportive community, full of opportunities, full of learning. And it's just, it's something you learn very quickly when you join the community of experts in IABC that you have no choice than to uphold. So even if you came from a completely different, you know, organization that didn't excel that value, once you get into the IABC, you become supportive as well. That's where I met Dweck. That's where I met Dr. Kendi. That's where I met Michael Nord. It was just at the cut. It was just at the converge. But I already felt at home, even though I was actively involved in the West African interest group which I'm still at, you know, but it's a sense of you're not leaving one for the other. You're just building a a global network. So that's, that's the way I like to think about the IABC, a supportive community of experts and professional. Absolutely. It's, it's so, it's
2: such an international environment. What you said, it's so supportive. I found it to be a really a great community for acting as a sounding board on you know issues you're facing or or learning best practices and it's a really a group of allies as well so was, the communications profession is is broad there's many different areas within communication so you can learn from each other but we're all facing the same kind of situations and the same kind of issues and and also we're building up the profession to be, you know, it's a serious profession and we have to advocate for that and, and, and prove to the world that it's a serious profession. And we're great allies for each other in that. And as you say as well, it's just so great in supporting the, my career as well. I found so much benefit from being a member. Being on the board has also it helped enormously, so I can definitely recommend that to anybody uh, to to spend some time on the board for IABC either at a chapter or a regional level. during my time as a consultant, I found it especially helpful because I felt kind of on my own when I was going into uh, clients and I was the only communications person there. Then you have that 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 backup, I suppose, that group of people who are they've got your back, you can go to them
0: with anything any situation and and you know that you will find that support and get that advice to get you through and I've found the same very much where people are just open doors not sort of in this virtual sense where you can just knock on their LinkedIn or or whatever it may be and reach out and just get that support as you said and um, advice Tabassan, you have a really interesting mix of skills, and we're talking about communications and where science intersects. That for you, how does this translate into your focus on energy and sustainability?
1: Right. Thank you. So, I've worked in what you know, you and I will consider technical skills for over 18 years. I really came to. Both as a natural instinct and also from observation that, you know, the job or the function of science and scientific discoveries, evidence, whatever, is to either inform or influence. You know, is to really advance us from something we don't know to what we know. However, there is a distinct gap between the language that technical people speak and the language that the public, the general public, understand. The general public understands storytelling. (laughs) The technical people understand sense-making. Once it makes sense, it doesn't matter whether it's exciting or not. They stick to it. So when you have this conflict between storytelling and sense-making, you realize that you are more like throwing balls to a wall, which is really where the issues of science communication plays a big role in energy sustainability. Because energy sustainability is a lot of sense-making to an audience that enjoys storytelling. And that's difficult. So when I understood that and I realized that I naturally can play a role in this place, naturally can help to dispel a misunderstanding and break down, you know, share science in a way that people can connect to, I feel this is something I can do. And that's why I am very focused on this transition and focused on the education aspect of it. So for me, Energy sustainability is essentially about social enlightenment, It's about public advocacy of what the true cost of energy is. So in as much as we go to the news and we talk about, oh, this is what climate change is about, this is happening in Australia and is affecting everyone in the world, or this is happening or like the cost of, you know, the gas. And everyone is feeling it. Most people, general public, cannot naturally correlate that to when you talk to them about renewable and non-renewable energy, they find them as different points. So what my role as, as a science communicator, like I like to think about it, is to mend this gap between sense-making and storytelling. The various form of energy for all of us, we are connected to it in one way or the other. And it's something I like people to play a role in. From who teaches science, to who sources for the energy, to the person who clicks on and off the switch in their homes, they must come to terms that there is a role for them to to play in.
0: Sounds really interesting, and you—you you have also got a science background. And how does that fit with communications? Do you see yourself as the translator? I guess it's a translation from science to to true storytelling and engagement. Absolutely. So I, I've worked in
2: scientific companies, I suppose, it, it's throughout my career. Whether even in FMCGs, there's an element of science behind, you know, making stuff as well, and and. But even even business, you have to translate business speak as well. So there's always an element of translating. What is, it, what is it that's going on? What is it, whether we're talking about trying to convey what engineers or IT folk or lab people, uh, any kind of specialism or business area, there's always an element of translation and trying to make sure we're talking about things in a language that people understand and that it resonates. So I think that's right across the board. I think most communications professionals will find themselves in that situation. And having that scientific background really has enabled me to understand the language that's being used by engineers. Or like I can, and also helps me ask the right questions. So okay, I might not understand exactly what you're saying. So how do i how do i understand that how what kind of questions do i need to ask in order to break it down to something more clear or or simplified if need to be to create those stories and think okay what's going to resonate with the people we're talking with
0: so asking questions from the subject matter experts and making sure that if it's not understandable to you it's probably not understandable to the wider exactly. people and just picking up on that would be one yeah. of your tips
2: Yes, I mean that there's the language used, but in, and that, that often includes abbreviations. So there's a special language within each specialism, but also the level at which people talk about, the, about detail or that the assumption that people make about the the knowledge that other people have. So you have to translate it to take it to a level which say, okay, but people aren't going to know necessarily. I suppose most people know now, for example, what DNA is, but As an example, a few years back, you mentioned DNA and and a lot of people didn't even know what DNA meant. So there was an assumption already that people knew that.
0: Tomasana, I'm I'm really keen to pick up on your comments about sustainability and the role that we can each play. Would you like to speak a little bit
1: more about that? Yes, please. And thank you. So coming from a geoscience background, there is maybe there's a saying that says the grandmother cannot understand your science then your science is useless because she's probably the one person who needs it most right so when we put that kind of saying on energy sustainability and we begin to use words like ESG like the three Ps people planet profits we begin to talk around supply chain logistics. All of the things that we chime in now, we will realize that the people, the center of each of these concepts. So you cannot separate people from the energy sustainability conversation. So what do the people need to know or what do they have to do? The end users of all forms of energy are us, the people. We are the ones that transport ourselves from point A to point B. We are the ones that actually even produce the oil, the water, the thermal energy, and all the things that goes into energy production. How do we ensure that we are doing it safely? You know, in energy production, there is a huge place for safe, sustainable practices. It's not because the end user would not know the difference. It's because you are keeping yourself safe in such operations. So energy sustainability is not just about climate change. It's about the existence of humans. <laughs> it's about the safety of everyone who does, who goes to work daily and come back. And for me, that's the, that's the thinking. When I, when I wanted to talk about energy sustainability, how do we ensure that the man, or the lady, or the female, or the male, who is building the model around geothermal understands that the impact of a work would not only stop at our building a model or generating energy, is she doing it safely? Do the people around her, our fellow engineers understand that one little mistake can lead to something catastrophic as a death. You know, not now, maybe a well breakout, maybe a wells not properly abandoned. Maybe the the you know the cost of even mining cobalt to make solar energy. You know, what's the effect on where it is mined, how it is mined on you, the miner. You know, once we begin to connect all of those dots, uh, we will see that sustainability is nothing new, it's just value optimization. So that's another thing that I also like to emphasize. It's not a new concept to think sustainability. Uh, It's new because we are putting a focus on it. It's new because we have changed the word strategy or business to now mean sustainability. So we must always question our ideologies. If it is not safe, if it is not ethical, if it is not um, sustainable, then it wouldn't yield long-term profits for both the person and and the business.
0: And I I think I heard from uh, sort of what you were saying uh, that being aware of it's almost the butterfly effect that you were mentioning right at the start of our conversation. That butterfly effect of every little thing that we do has consequences down the track, each and every one of us. So the other thing I was very keen for us to talk about is misinformation, because it's a particularly big focus for us at the IABC at the moment with everything that's going on. So one thing I'm really keen to talk about at the moment is misinformation. It's a really big topic right now with everything that's going on. And how does one tread the fine line of persuasion and sticking to the facts? And Tambasa, I know that you've done work also as a publicist, which is external communications. Have you ever had to stand the firm moral ground
1: despite what a client wanted? Many, many times. Uh, I think Doug mentioned this that our job as communicationists or communicators goes a long way to influence people, you know, either right there or in the future. And the interesting thing is that the people do not even know that you're influencing them. You know, I think of communications as adverts these days. It stays in the mind and then you pick it up when you think you need it. So an instance is where we have to, how do we treat Going back to your question around misinformation as a big topic, uh, I think is gigantic. It's not even being. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's my little Australian downplay of like massive catastrophes.
1: <laughs> and one of the well you know the concept to explain this very well is you know the a, the game will play at business meetings where the facilitators say something to one person and down the line, The outcome is completely different from what he or she said. These are the same people in the same room. And you you just get this misalignment. So he tells us that miscommunication is a game of time. When people do not have the right data, the right information, they are left with misinformation. So how do we persuade them? How do we ensure that they stick to the facts? You know, it's bringing all to the cards to the table. And this is where diversity, ethic, and <laughs> everything comes into play again, because what you may be presenting as fact to me may be culturally different from what you think as facts. So, marrying DEI on a global scale is where we are at. How do we ensure that we stand? Firm moral ground. I think moral, human rights, fairness—whatever name we want to call it—is a constant. What is different is our diversity. So, equity is what plays a bigger role now. Is it fair to everyone concerned? Is it you know? Does it does it make for more good moral judgment when we bring this back to the table? That's the way I like to think about misinformation. If it's not fair to all concerned, and I do not have the two stories on the table, then I would be careful on sticking to one side of the story and saying this is the truth. So our job as communicator is to present all truths as known to us. All truths. And these truths can be facts. Some of them verified, some of them unverifiable. But our job is to ensure that the public have access to those things and I'd love to hear an example
0: of how you perhaps managed those clients whose views were on the other side of ethics while you have a think about that Jika maybe you'd like to share an experience that you've had in this area or your views on misinformation well I've Really, been fortunate
2: not to have had that moral dilemma from that, certainly from an external communications point of view. Because my majority of my experience has been internal communication. I've often been in a position though where I've had to persuade a leader to be transparent about a situation, or or even in their language while they're communicating. All too often, I write for leadership quite a lot. The clear message can end up getting massaged in the review process. And sometimes so much that it becomes quite ambiguous or or even meaningless, and sometimes it ends up being too difficult, and then there's just silence. So I suppose it's more around clarity rather than information. But I have actually been in a situation where I was responsible for change communications for a, a large, I a pro- project? It was a program, and to make it successful, we really needed to bring people along on why this change was happening and what it was going to bring them what were the benefits so in diving into okay what are the benefits for the employees what are the benefits for the customers actually there wasn't this the information just simply wasn't there but we were encouraged highly to embellish <laughs> so that the, so there were reasons there and they weren't based on facts and that made me really uncomfortable and we knew that people would see right through it so You work through that and you come with advice around, okay, well, let's not make this up and let's not be untrue about it. Let's be clear about, well, this is why it's beneficial to the business and this is how it will impact people. And some of it's going to be beneficial. Some of it's going to be neutral. And sometimes there's a downside. The important thing is the transparency. And I think it's really, it's really important, our job as communicators or communications professionals to push back and advise on leadership to, on what the business impact is and what the impact is on people. Uh, if you're not communicating clearly and transparently and whether that's facts or whether that's opinions or whether that's not knowing something the transparency is important, but at the end of the day, it's the leader's responsibility. In my case, working in business, the leader's responsibility. It's the message is coming from them. So sometimes, at some point, you have to say, "Okay, <laughs> I, I've done all the the persuading I think I can do. I've done the, my best effort, and it's you have to bow to the will of the the client." But I think when you're a communication profession, you're often having to persuade and lead without authority. And internal politics, external politics, other situations will play a a big part in the outcome. But I think it largely comes down to the relationship that you have with the people you're trying to persuade. So if if you've already worked on that relationship beforehand, you build that trust. I think that trust is so important that they really trust your expertise and that uh, you have the companies and their... And everybody else's best interests at heart, and so I suppose my advice would be really: if you're, you're never going to be able to control all of it, but if you work on building those relationships, you'll come a
0: come a good. If you work on those relationships, you'll you'll come far. So it's really stepping into that trusted advisor role and Absolutely. really working on that, so you do have a. A power based on trust and based on relation to to infl- relationships to influence to the best that you can to try and get the best outcome that you can. It sounds like also the grace to acknowledge when you've done your very very best, but sure, just yeah. have to let it go. Yes. And Tommason, did you have a? Example that you would like to share that springs to mind?
1: So, one example that comes to mind is having to not make payments to something that we statutory make payments for. You know, so if you think about it, and maybe I would say it, it's a word that we are accustomed to called lobbying now, where you feel relationship can get you thus far and hence you shouldn't make payment for that. So we've had, well, I've been in such a situation where we felt we could leverage on relationship to get what we wanted. So at the point where it became imperative to make that decision, should we be using relationship or should we actually be making payment for this? It was an uncomfortable decision to make, but because the reason why we were pursuing relationship was because we didn't have the money to make that payment. So we were, what we'll say, at the middle of a crossroad. (laughs) Do we continue to go ahead with using relationship or do we make payments? At the end of the day, it was a very difficult decision because we know that even if we had used relationship, we would get it. But it would be something that may come up to haunt us in the near future. So we had to count our losses to say, because we do not have this money, this is not the time. But you know what that yielded? Because we came to table with that, we would like to pay for this, but we don't have the money yet. We realized that there was even opportunities that we could have asked for like discounts for that particular cost. So reining this story back on the theme for the World Conference around communications can, I think communications can do magic. You know, when you have the right conversation with all your stakeholders and while relationship is at the forefront of it, like the says, I think coming to the table with all hands paired with everything sticking out, would actually move you forward. So that, that's my example, you know, of a win where there was a strong moral ground, but we ended up having to make the right decisions.
0: Thank you so much. I, I can see that big advocacy for authenticity in helping us achieve goals. Thank you once again, Juka and Tomposa, for your time and for sharing your insights and knowledge with the wide community of the IABC and all of our guests and listeners. We really, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much.
1: Yeah, I I enjoyed it thoroughly as well, and it would be good though to say the communications can you know, it's a tip that I really res- resonate with because it's not even about IABC. It's about everything that is happening in the world right now. You need to come to the table for people to really communicate. That's the space we are in now. So, truly, communications can.